Okay, we'll gather back together. It's fun. It's fun. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Welcome, welcome again to Grace Community Church. If you're visiting with us, why, uh, Appreciate your presence, and for all of our regulars, uh, good to see you all again. Mr. White, if you'll, or, if you'll uh, organize a back row, we'll be ready. Yeah. <laughs> Rowdy bunch this morning, praise the Lord. It is not often that I... Uh, I promote a book other than the Bible, uh, you know, uh, uh, but I think I have one this morning that I would uh, think is worthy of recommending, and it's primarily because of the series that we're entering into, but uh, if you're familiar with Dr. David Jeremiah, he wrote this book called Count It All Joy, Count It All Joy, and I am actually going to be using that as one reference, but uh, I say, and I don't mean this in a bad way, but uh, uh, any secondary reading material, <laughs> you know, I want the scripture to always be priority in our lives. Always be priority. But there's a lot of good books out there, too. A lot of great books. And I would just recommend that one because it's a, it's a book on following the biblical book of Philippians. Okay? So count it all joy. I, I, I recommend it highly. Background. In order to confront, directly confront, a culture of bad news, we are intentionally entering into a time of focus on the good news. Now, we will always strive to make the good news at the core and heart of every message that we proclaim at Grace Community Church, but there is a special emphasis on the good news in this particular letter that the Apostle Paul penned. Nothing positive or encouraging or beneficial ever comes from someone who can always point out what's wrong but never offer a solution. Have you been around that? Don't, no names, please. We do not want names submitted. But folks, it, it, it's, it's just so important that we understand we have the answer. It doesn't matter what's wrong. It doesn't matter what the sin issue is. And I'm going to have more to say to that in just a moment. But we have the answer. And that ought to invigorate us. It ought to excite us. It ought to cause us, compel us. Paul said, even one time he said, the love of Christ compels me. It ought to be that force that drives us. Jesus, and this is not overly simplistic. I'm not trying to, Jesus is the answer. He's the answer. Has anyone ever come up and say, I hate to be the bearer of bad news? No, you don't. I can see it on your face. You're looking forward to this. Well, if you hate it so much, stop. <laughs> 
We're not the bad news bearers. We're the good news believers. Today we begin a series in Paul's letter to the church at Philippi. Philippians is a book of joy and thanksgiving, and it's written in the worst of times. Folks, let's keep things, let's keep history in perspective with current events. This is not the first time there's been bad times in the world. But I assure you, they're going to get worse. Let's stand. If you can, if you are able, you may sit. We just ask that you give honor to the reading of the Word of God at this time. We're actually going to bite off the whole chapter, so you ready? Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all. You didn't know they were Southern hinting this, did you? Sorry, I'm sorry. All of you, you all. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with my affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory of God, uh, to the glory and praise of God. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Isn't that amazing? Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now as always Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me 
you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Verse 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened by anything or by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Wow. What an account. What an opening. What a greeting. Father, may we lay hold of these marvelous truths. May they be imprinted upon our hearts, not just for the sake of gathering information, but for the sake of the glory of Christ, that we may be transformed more and more into his image and likeness. And Father, may we be inspired by these words, that we can count it all joy. Help us, Lord, to be the church that you called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. A rather lengthy uh, <clears throat> passage this morning, but I pray that we will do it justice in our time together. Uh, just a, a very quick, as part of an introduction, by way of introduction, I, I did make note of a seven-point outline that Dr. Jeremiah listed in the book that I referenced earlier, and I want to just hit this very quickly, because when we talk about adversity we're usually talking on the downside of it instead of the positive aspect of it. And adversity ought to be producing in us the fruits of righteousness. It ought to encourage us. We ought to learn from adversity and learn how God can take that and use it for his good. So these seven points, I just share with you quickly, adversity promotes the progress of the gospel. Adversity provides opportunities to witness. Adversity produces courage in your fellow believers. Adversity proves the character of our friendships. Adversity provokes growth in our lives. Adversity purifies our motives. Adversity prepares us to see life and death in perspective. I would love to preach those seven points, but they belong to Dr. Jeremiah, so I will just leave them where they are as reference to the material. As we move ahead in our text, and, and, and it's important that we understand, the Apostle Paul is very clearly going to have a priority in his relationships. Where is his first alliance or allegiance? Who does he love the most? Loves Christ. So he is, he is committed he is committed. He puts Christ first in all that he does. He then puts others second and himself last. But he wanted the church at Philippi to know you are not in this alone. And you're on the winning side. Consider it a privilege, he says, to suffer for Christ. And where was Paul at the writing of this letter? Does anybody know? He was in a Roman prison. Okay? He was in prison. A letter to the saved, born again, converted, regenerated, and spirit-filled people of God, point number one, living in the freedom of joy, diminishes the negative effects of our problems. 
It diminishes the negative effect of our problems. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. Uh, I think when I was in Greece, they pronounced that Philippi, didn't they? They pronounced it differently. Uh, I don't know how all them Greeks should get it so wrong, but, you know, it is what it is, right? But I want you to notice something. I want to skip down here just a little bit and look at this verse, grace to you and peace. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You will never find in Scripture peace preceding grace. If you look at every time that greeting is used, every time that closing of that statement is mentioned, it is grace and peace. Brothers and sisters, if you're looking for peace, if you want peace in your life, if you want to live in the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ, then you first got to experience His grace. Then you may have grace and peace. So it diminishes the negative effects of our problems. Satan uses issues to distract us. He uses them to take our focus off of the gospel. Political, economic, racial violence. The devil wants us to focus and be dragged down by symptoms so that we will not address the core issue or cause. The toxic political climate that we live in today in our nation. The depraved sexual agenda in our country. They are not the problems. They're symptomatic. They're symptomatic. The economic crisis in our country is not our greatest concern. I read this post and I have to share it with you. We don't need a donkey. We don't need an elephant. We need a lamb. We need the lamb. We don't need a blue state or a red state. We need a blood-bought state. Amen? Count it all joy when you pay $5 a gallon for gas. Somebody say hallelujah. Doesn't that make it feel better? Folks, half the world doesn't even own a car. Half the world has no developed infrastructure to drive on. Kind of puts it in perspective, doesn't it? I got to tell you, I want to make a confession. I know all you folks really love it when the preacher confesses his sins. So here they come. We ain't got time. <laughs> For all of them. But on a serious moment, when I get our credit card statements for the month, I always check them, make sure they're, they're appropriate, clean, okay? And I know where we buy groceries, so I make note. Last week, I was going over a statement, and I noticed the increase, significant increase in what we were spending on groceries. And I started to get a little upset. I even got a little discouraged. The cost of everything, from toiletries to everything. And then God, God literally leveled me. And I began to praise him because we're able to take, to take care of three precious children. 
He has enabled us to do that. He has given us what we need to take care of our family. And I looked at that statement and I said, praise God for inflation. Brothers and sisters, he put me on my knees because I was feeling bad about will we have enough, will we? And I mean, he slapped me. I know all of you people love that song. He touched me. When God touches me, it sounds like this. Folks, I know that there are things in our economy that's going to put a strain on some people. I understand that. But our faith is not in the economy. I encourage you to adopt a financial plan called Godonomics. Godonomics. He always provides. There's always sufficient. I don't know what the balance will be, but I know you'll have enough. I know you will have enough because God has promised. Count it all joy. Count it all joy. I did see a guy mowing his yard the other day with the motor off and a billy goat tied to the frame. Sorry, I needed a lighter side there for a moment. Folks, I'm excited about this passage. I'm excited about this series that we're in, into the crisis in our nation and the lives of people, the problem of sin. It's a sin issue. And the good news is the gospel of Jesus Christ is the answer. Even the church itself may at times be notorious for attacking the symptoms, pointing out everything that is wrong and neglecting the answer. Verse 6 is the key verse and application of this first point. And man, we need to move. Are you ready? Put on your track shoes. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. God is working in the life of every believer. God's work in us is far greater in power than the world's effect on us. There are three distinct works of God in the believer. The work of God for us, salvation. The work of God in us, sanctification. And the work of God through us, serve us. With point emphasis, for God is my witness how I yearn to all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may be approved what is excellent and to be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory of God and praise to his name. Romans 8, 1, 31 through 39, What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against us? God's elect. It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are all being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Joy diminishes the negative effect of problems. Secondly, it directs our attention toward the gospel. 
Look how joy can destroy Satan's evil agenda. Consider the story of Joseph. Is the story of Joseph an important account in Scripture, in the Genesis uh, Scripture? It covers 14 chapters. <laughs> his story. Through all his trials and years of pleading and years of suffering unjustly, being sold as a, as a slave to foreigners and traded and swapped and, and falsely accused of crimes he didn't commit and imprisoned and all these ups and downs of Joseph's life, he said this to his family, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Count it all joy. Count it all joy. So we ask very briefly this morning for later or for consideration, where is your focus? Is it on your sufferings or on your Savior? Are you and your sufferings your number one concern this morning or the glory of Christ in your struggle? And let me qualify that just for a moment. Sufferings are real. They're real. Sorrow, grief, even deep despair at times, they're real battles. But compare it to glory. All I can encourage you to do, and this has been a benefit to me over the years of struggle at times and deep battles, is I put it up against the cross. I don't encourage comparative suffering. But I do believe that everything ought to be measured against the sufferings of Christ. And in that, we find peace in the midst of the sorrow. Point number three. Living in the freedom of joy drives our desire to witness. If you notice from our text, it said, most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak about the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ with envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. There were some who were doing it almost in a way to mock Paul, to draw attention to the, the, the situation he was in and point to the gospel as the problem. The, 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 there's an old saying, and I just presented to you this morning for your consideration. If you were convicted of uh, being charged and tried for being a witnessing Christian, would there be enough evidence for a conviction? And that's what really what Paul is saying here. And then he said, you know, it's, it's driving people. It's driving people. I believe with Scripture as the evidence that the initial compelling evidence of a truly born-again person is a desire to tell others what they have found in Christ Jesus. Amen? Folks, if we're not sharing our faith, then the question is, do I have a faith worth sharing? That's the question we have to answer. At the end of Luke's gospel account, we read these words. 
And he, Jesus, said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still alive, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are my witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Guess what happened in Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 8? And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, friends, the initial evidence of a spirit-filled person is a burning desire to tell others about Jesus. It's the desire to be a witness, to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you have never had that compelling desire to tell others, I plead with you, I beg you, I ask you to consider coming forward this morning and proclaiming Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And that will change. You won't know when to shut up. You know, I always said I, I kind of love new Christians. Well, I love all Christians. I, I, I love people, okay? But new Christians are stupid. They, they just can't stop talking about Jesus. They don't know it's not, or not appropriate, right? And don't you tell them. Don't you tell them. No, in all sincerity, folks, we have one message to proclaim. And that's that Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Our own adversities are the prime opportunities to proclaim and live out the grace of God in our lives. And we must quit dwelling on the adversity and seize the opportunity. We will all need at times to share our needs. We will all have moments when we have to gather around us people who will pray for us. We all need fellowship with other believers to encourage us as we encourage them. We will need those. And there will be time when we are the recipients of just the love of people and the grace of God in measures we never imagined going through difficult times. But count it all joy. Count it all joy. Living in the freedom of joy diminishes the effects of our problems. It directs our attention toward the gospel. It drives our desire to witness. And finally, it determines our outlook on life and death. It determines our outlet. I, I want to read this passage again to you, please. Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all, uh, at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life 
or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Paul goes on to say that it's a struggle. It's a struggle for him to decide what he wants the most or what is necessary for the current day. He says, I really, I really want to go home and see Jesus. I really want to be with my Savior. But I'll let God decide when that moment comes. And for right now, he's called me to be here. How many can share that? How many can share that? You don't need to raise your hand. It's just a thought to consider. How many can, from the depth of their heart, say, I would really rather be with Jesus, but I also know that God's got the number on that. And when my day comes, I will be ready. I've shared, you know, on on different occasions that Connie and I have our tombstone, our grave marker, already set up at the Melbourne Cemetery. To my knowledge, nobody has put the final date on it yet. I haven't been down there in a little while, but uh, my birth date was on there, but uh, the other date so far has been withheld. But the only other inscription on our stone simply says, home at last. Home at last. This passage is, as much as any other, captures the true heart of the Apostle Paul. To live as Christ, to die as gain, and the struggle between the two. I am going to make a bold statement. Show me a professing Christian who has never shared their faith, and I will show you a professing Christian. Only. Show me a Christian that is terrified of dying, and I will show great concern about their salvation. Now, folks, this is not a sermon about an unhealthy death wish, okay? But the Spirit of God brings into us the certainty and the hope of eternity. And once we have entered into that spiritual realm of truth and power, our idea about dying changes completely. Our understanding of death changes completely. We now have the mind of Christ. That will come later, actually, in chapter 2. But we have the Spirit of God testifying to us every day, every moment. You are mine, and what I have begun in you, I will bring to completion. You are mine now and forevermore, and you will be mine forever. We have the testimony of the Holy Spirit that says, don't worry about what happens next. I got you. If I got you saved, I can surely get you to glory. Amen? To share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and desire to live for him and him alone is the fruit of the saved soul. 
to long to be with him, yet embrace God's timing and purpose ought to be evidence in the life of every believer. If you are not willing to provide the answer to the crisis around us, then quit complaining about the problem. Tough message for tough times. Count it all joy. Count it all joy. And today I would pray that you are able to enter in to that complete, abounding, unstoppable, sacrificial, surpassing, anticipating, reconciling, pure contentment and generous joy that only comes through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Peter, in his letter, writes, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Count it all joy. I wonder what would happen if as we go to the grocery store or the gas pump, or and I'm using the economic situation because it is, it's a serious thing going on, okay? But what if we walk down the aisle of the grocery store saying, praise God, praise God, praise God. What's that? Be mindful there are people who will struggle during this time. I want to make that important. There are people who may struggle. The church ought to be first responder. The church ought to be first responder to that need. Okay? But count it all joy. Count it all joy. Bread and milk ain't bad. You like bread soaked in milk? Well, milk's $4 a gallon now, by the way. (laughs) Brothers and sisters, on the serious closing note, and this is serious, what we've been talking about this morning and what we have gathered from Philippians 1 is there is a joy in knowing Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior that simply transcends all of life. Every aspect of our life is affected and overwhelmed by knowing Jesus Christ. It takes care of the struggle. It accommodates our fears. It imparts to us a hope that can never be diminished. But you have to know him personally. Not just know who he is. Not just know what he did. That's really good information, valuable information. But just knowing that Jesus Christ died for sins is just a historical and theological bit of information. But knowing that Jesus Christ died for sinners such as I 
Now we're moving into personal relationships. To know he died, historical fact. To know he died for sins, theological fact. To know he died for sinners, such as I, salvation. Salvation. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth and the power of the gospel. And Father, I pray that I, I pray that we view the darkness around us now in a whole different way. That that darkness can no, never overwhelm or overcome the light that is in us. And so we ought to be running towards the darkness with the light of the gospel instead of hiding from it. We are light in a dark and dying world. Father, we pause. I want to pause just for a moment for us collectively as the body to silently pray about the value of them both. issue that's confronting us. We have an opportunity to speak as citizens of this great state. And may we speak for the glory of Christ. Father, if there be one in this assembly this morning that doesn't know Jesus, I pray that this is the day. This is the day to cast all pride aside, to forget about what somebody else is going to think, and simply walk up here and talk to one of us about what it means, how can I be saved. I pray that you call the lost to yourself today. In Jesus' name, amen.